How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. I'm your host, the friendly neighborhood podcaster, Kurt Lewis, here with another episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Robin Smith, the National Helpline Manager of NoFASD Helpline, who will be providing us with some background on her work with this service. The helpline is managed by a group of NoFASD staff who can provide information or will help you to find what you need. How's it going, Robin? Good, Kurt. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You've told me before that you like to relax by reading. What type of books do you like to read? Do you have a favourite genre or topic? Well, actually, yes, quite true, Kurt. I love the escapism of getting my nose in a good book and getting away from it. But I do like a variety of subjects too. Mm. So I like historical, I like crime, some science fiction, some love stories as well, (laughs) and even Stephen King. So some of his I really enjoy. Shawshank Redemption's one of the best, I think. I find it really hard to get into Stephen King. It might just be me, really. I got more into his biography than I got into the rest of his books, unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately, I tried reading It and that didn't go too well. No, that's not one of my favourites either. We've worked together for a few years, but I've never asked you, how long have you been with NoFAS Australia? How did you first become involved with this organisation? Yeah, I've worked here, Kurt, for the past five and a half years. And prior to that, I was working in some not-for-profits, which included some parenting programs, parenting advice and support programs. I was working with offenders, some school students, youth at risk and transitional programs. And so I've worked with many clients and families affected with FASD, especially in the justice system quite a long list by the sounds of it. So how did you get involved with NoFASD exactly? Well, I worked for another not-for-profit with Louise Gray, who is now the CEO of NoFASD Australia. And she asked me at one point in time when a position came up, and of course I jumped at the chance to be able to be uh, working with Louise again, but also to work for such a wonderful organisation that helps people. As Nat, the national manager for the helpline, I know this is like the major focus of your work. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about the helpline? I know I've defined a bit of it, but what kind of assistance do you give out? What kind of calls do you receive from the helpline? That's a good question, Kurt, because I receive a number of different calls and it can be many calls a lot to do with diagnosis and where to get a diagnosis and how to go about getting a diagnosis uh, because the diagnosis is usually done by a multidisciplinary team and each state has different places where you're able to obtain that diagnosis. I speak to individuals, I've spoken to adults that suspect they may have FASD and 
and have helped them to get a diagnosis as well. I have often given out alcohol and pregnancy information, especially to unplanned pregnancies. Resources on how to obtain them. We have some wonderful resources there on our website and we do have some things like parent advice cards and police cards. We have a parent toolkit. We have a book there supporting success for adults with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as well. So it's getting some of that information. And if a parent has just had diagnosis for their child, we can send out parent support packs to them as well, which will give them information, some strategies on how to help behaviour and things that may help them there. We also do training and education information on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Sometimes I think one of the biggest things is for parents and carers that it's often that they want someone to talk to, but someone that understands. Because being a carer or a parent of an individual that has or a child that has FASD, it can be very socially isolating because of the child's behaviours. And so what will sometimes start happening is the child's not invited to birthday parties because of their behaviour, of not understanding FASD. And so then quite often mum's not invited along for coffee mornings either. So it can become very socially isolating for a lot of parents and carers. And it's nice to have people that understand. We also have parenting courses, which Julie... Julie Flanagan, that she uh, does families along with yourself, some help with families linking with families, support groups, which are really important. I think that's a very important thing that parents and carers can have that other support and know that they are not alone in this journey, which sometimes can be very trying. Like it's an online support group for parents. I mean, not many parents can have the time to get down, go to their local city and get together. Families Linking with Families is really online support group available over Zoom for families in Australia to get together and feel supported and feel like they're not being judged for the stuff that's going on in life. And yeah, and quite often parents will bring up stuff going on in their life that other parents have either gone through or are currently going through too. So that kind of sharing that knowledge, you're not alone really, is always, it's very powerful. It is. It's very, very powerful, Kurt, and it's important that people have that connection and are able to get that support. You mentioned before that people who want to get a FASD diagnosis, you also pass on details about where to get it, and I imagine that's pretty difficult for people to find out because Australia's divided into so many states that have so many different services. That's very correct, Kurt, and a lot of different places. Some hospitals, it's not the same all around, and some hospitals will only diagnose or some clinics will only diagnose between the ages of 3 and 12. Others, I think it's 4 and 10. Some right throughout, right from birth up until the age of 18. Others are only from 4 years to uh, 17. It's different. It varies. So it depends on the age of the the person that's wanting to be diagnosed on where they can go and what can happen there to get a diagnosis. The other thing is it's severe impairment in three domains of the brain and we have FASD with three sentinel facial features and FASD without three sentinel facial features. If there's no sentinel facial features, we do need prenatal alcohol exposure confirmed as well. So this is just something so that people know what to look at and what to look for. 
So who should call the helpline? Who is the particular group of people that should get help from this particular service? No, it's basically for parents and carers, but anyone. We have service providers calling up, looking for training, often looking for strategies to be able to work with their clients that they have and being able to pass on information, but mainly a lot of staff training. We have been doing some justice training recently in WA, and so that has been going to out to all the caseworkers and people that are working with youth at risk, which I think is quite important to have an understanding of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, because often it has seemed like these, these individuals are not trying and they won't do something, but it's literally that they can't do it. So to get that different lens on is very, very important. Do you handle calls from other professionals other than justice professionals? I imagine you'd probably get calls from other professions such as teaching to help. We do. Yeah. Definitely a lot of... Yes, yes, teachers that are looking for some strategies. Unfortunately, strategies is something that I'd love to be able to say, if a person has FASD, if you do this, this and this, that will work. But unfortunately, it's a spectrum disorder. And as with any spectrum disorders, it is a spectrum. So there's no two individuals the same. So what might work for one person with FASD may not work for another person. So it's about giving strategies, which I think we need to make very, very clear and very important because it's not one hat fits all there. Mm. There are many different individuals there. I have had inquiries from health professionals as well, from OT, speech pathologists, looking to find out more information about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It's not just in terms of the medical stuff. It's important to understand the disorder itself, especially, and what to do and what not to do in in essence for these professionals. Imagine that's important. It is. It's very important, Kurt, because as I say, it's often seen as that the individual won't do what they are being asked to do, but it's usually because they can't do it. And it's not as if individuals with FASD can't learn, they just learn differently. And so we need different strategies and different ways of being able to teach. Mm, Because FASD in its essence is a spectrum and it covers different kinds of behaviours and symptoms in essence, really. I remember remember you told me, I think you told me quite a while back that you had one twin who had FASD uh, who had symptoms that were completely different to another twin who had FASD. Was that, was it, am I quoting you right there? Yeah, it was actually one twin. It was a twin study, and I actually do know of three twins personally that one, three sets of twins, I should say, one twin has FASD and the other doesn't. So that is a lot to do with susceptibility in the epigenetics of the child themselves. So what level of alcohol affects one individual has a different effect on the other. What is the most difficult part of answering phone calls from the helpline? Is there like a difficult call you have or the call that you most find difficult in dealing with? Well, I don't really find them difficult, but the one that breaks my heart more than anything, Kurt, I think, is when a woman's found out that she's pregnant and she's maybe six or eight weeks pregnant and she has been consuming alcohol in that period of time and she's unsure whether she has done damage or not. And so it's a very hard one because I can give statistics and facts but I can't give any guarantees. Depending on how much alcohol, of course, is consumed as well, sometimes 
I've had a woman ring up and she might have had one glass of wine and she's very, very frightened for the safety of her child. And although I can't give any 100% guarantees, she'd have to be so unlucky on that Mm. amount. So all I can do is give statistics and facts on those, Mm. whereas I'd much rather be able to give some proper reassurance in everything with everyone, as we all like to do, I think is to help. But there are some circumstances where, unfortunately, no one knows at that period of time. I can understand the difficulty there. It must be hard to talk about it, to provide the statistics without... It's difficult to not be able to provide assurances to people. I imagine they must come to you in with some level of dis- distress and it's hard to reassure these these expecting mothers who are feeling so exactly. worried and barrel of emotions and well keep them calm in essence but you can't give any guarantees at the end of the day and that must be so frustrating it is and uh, the thing is the big thing too Kurt is I can't give any guarantees but I'm also not a medical professional and every time there the most important thing is I can give advice I can give what I know in that help but in every case there, it's always that you should go and see your doctor because they provide the medical advice there. And as I say, I can give you statistics. I know a lot about FASD, but I am not a medical professional there. I think that's one of the main things with the helpline is I look at it like a triage sort of service there that I can give referrals on. So if you need to know something, sometimes I might not know the answer to it, but I'll find out for you. And And so it's about where to go, what to do, and who's your best point of contact for what your query is at that time. How important is the helpline? Can you provide me with some examples about how this service makes a difference to people who call up? I mean, I know you've given me a couple of examples, but have you got anything else? Yeah, well, as I say, often it might be they've just come across something accidentally and it's like, wow, this is a not light bulb moment. This might be my child or this might be me at that period of time and they want to know more information. Sometimes it's happened with partners as well that I have had many calls from people that are living with their partner and they know that the partner's mother consumed alcohol when pregnant and there's been a number of come across it and then they're looking to help their partner to get understanding Mm. there. So I've spoken to them and I find there that it's often a relief, especially for an adult, to get a diagnosis of FASD. It's not a case of, oh, gee, I've got an impairment, I've got a sort of disability there. It's more a case of, wow, this is amazing to know after all these years, I'm not dumb and stupid, but I've actually had a brain impairment. Mm. And most adults I know that a number have helped to get a diagnosis as well. And I'm a very strong advocate of early diagnosis because I think the earlier you find this out and the earlier interventions are put in for support, the better the outcomes are for this individual because often they feel they know they are different. And it comes right from school when you're sitting in the classroom and everyone else is putting up their hand because they can answer the question. But no matter how hard you try, your brain just cannot come up with that answer. And so right from the word go, you realise you're a little bit different. And the one thing no one wants to do is look stupid. That's the last thing any of us like to do. So you'll turn around and say, yes, I do understand and I do know. The person often becomes very articulate and is able to talk the talk because they just want to fit in. 
and because they want that. But uh, early diagnosis does stop a lot of this happening and a lot of these feelings there that they have gone through, which can sometimes amount to trauma as well because they are sometimes bullied or they are put down all the time and they start believing that they're not good enough too. But it's just their brain thinks differently. As someone who is FASD informed, do you think there is more our listeners could be doing as individuals or we could be doing as a whole society to support carers and people with FASD? Yes, definitely. Understanding is a very, very big thing. And just go down to the shopping centre at times and if a child's melting down, having a great meltdown, there's so much wonderful advice that other parents give. It's like, oh, your child needs to have a good slap on the backside or you need to go and do a parenting course, which of course is not the case at all. Your child's having a meltdown. So this is why we do have designed these behaviour cards as well so that they can hand out to bystanders. So people do understand that this is just not bad behaviour. This is not misbehaviour at all. It is just they are having a meltdown, which means that they cannot control their emotions. And quite often it could be something to do with sensory or too much overload there at that period of time. So, yes, I think people need to understand a little bit more about FASD and if an individual has FASD, their behaviours and also especially a big one is in supporting women when they're pregnant. I think that is extremely important to understand that she needs support. Okay, alcohol is such a part of the Australian culture. We have it everywhere and we have it for everything. We have it to celebrate, we have it to commiserate, we have it to get together for what we have alcohol all of the time in the culture. So it just becomes an ingrained thing there. But if a woman's pregnant, definitely needs extra support from her husband in that not to drink themselves and also to make sure with your your friends that are pregnant there, maybe going out and having mocktails instead of having drinks and support your friend by going a little bit healthy. Not having alcohol is certainly not going to hurt anyone. So you can certainly support a woman who is pregnant by not consuming alcohol yourself when you're with them. Honestly, I love mocktails, so any excuse really to drink some mocktails is good by me. I enjoy mocktails more. Call me a cook. Yes. You can drink as many as you want, and you don't get drunk. That's always bonuses in my opinion, and they're just so sweet. I have a big sweet tooth, unfortunately. Yes, you're quite right. You don't get the headache the next day, Kurt, so mm-hmm. that's that's more important. So, yes, it's understanding is very important that we all need to do and just be a little bit more aware and a little bit more accommodating to, to understand that often people with FASD, they might have the same social etiquette and might come across quite blunt and rude, but it is they don't understand. So it's being accommodating and understanding, yes, if they stand in your space, they're not doing it to make you feel uncomfortable. They're just not aware that that's your personal space. Or if they come out and say something that you think, gee, that's a bit uh, blunt, it is because, yes, they basically can say what they think and feel at that time. That's some good advice there. Any of our listeners wish to view any of the items that Robin has mentioned? I know she's mentioned the ID cards, the specific cards that give bystanders information about FASD and every other material referenced in this interview. Please go down to the show notes below and they will be all referenced there in alphabetical order or for your viewing pleasure. 
I'd like to thank you, Robin, for agreeing to be interviewed by me. I know it must be a somewhat surreal experience. It's, I know you've listened probably to a couple of these at by now, uh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, yes, I have, Kurt. <laughs> and thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's uh, been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org.au.